Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 473. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today, we've got Kevin Rakestraw. Hey, Kevin. Hey, how's yeah, it going? Yeah, it's going pretty good. No complaints. Right. No complaints here except for the weather. Oh, uh, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, like, it, was like a, it was like a tease. It got real warm. Mm-hmm. And now it's colder. It's colder here now than it was in January. Like, what's mm-hmm. going on here? Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's out of control. It's, it's ridiculous. Just, it's awful. Uh, this week on the show, we're going to be talking about the indie comedy Dad and Stepdad, which is going to be opening in New York this week. We also have, uh, we're also going to be going over some of what we're watching on the watch list and this week's new releases in theaters, VOD and Blu-ray. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Please remember to review us on iTunes if you get a moment. That'd be great. Uh, new Save by the 90s uh, for March. That is, we're going to be recording it. Uh, this week or next week this week or next week so mm-hmm. stay tuned for that I'll just tell you we're going to be covering the Friday the 13th TV series uh, so we had a lot of fun doing the Nightmare on Elm Street TV series so we're going to do the same thing but this time with the Friday the 13th TV series because coincidentally uh, that show had its final 10 episodes throughout 1990 just like the Friday the 13th, or sorry, the Nightmare on Elm Street series. So stay tuned for that. I will say I, I haven't watched any from the specific ones we're covering yet, but I did watch uh, may- maybe half of the first season of that show, and it's significantly better than the Nightmare on Elm Street one. So should should be a fun discussion. Stay tuned for that. With that, uh, let's go ahead and talk about Dad and Stepdad. This is directed by uh, Tienan DeLong. I have a synopsis here. Jim and Dave, a dad and stepdad, have trouble bonding during a three-day weekend upstate with their son, Branson. Now, Kevin, you were the one that that brought this to my attention, so we'll, we'll start it with you. What are your initial impressions of dad and stepdad? Uh, oh, I should also mention that this is adapted from a short film uh, by the same name from the same director, and you can watch that short film on Vimeo. Okay. I probably should have checked that out. Didn't know. It's I watch, I did watch it after watching this, and it's basically it's almost the exact same. It's It's the same concept, same actors and everything. And it's just like a little eight minute short, but I think that it does a good job of like, if, if you're not sure you want to see this, I think that checking that out, you know, for free. Yeah. It gives you a good idea. Yeah. Whether you're going to be into it or not. It's almost like an extended teaser or something. I could see that. I could see that. Uh, I was initially pretty interested in this, uh, considering that uh, Tiny DeLong's previous short films, they used to play on no budge all the time. And I was always a big fan of them. They were always, you know, relatively short, pretty damn funny. Uh, pretty. He does a really good job of that kind of like awkward comedy. Oh, yeah. I'd say he does a really amazing job at presenting awkward comedy. So when I saw the trailer for this, I was like, oh, boy, you know, doing a, a feature length. All right. This should be interesting. And just the idea of two guys you know, dad and stepdad 
just being incredibly awkward, doing their ridiculous like one ups one up ship type deal, and just like you know going back and forth over the dumbest things that you could envision with a thirteen year old teenager that's played by a grown man. Just the whole idea. I was like, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. he's got the track record of doing this. And I got to say, it's pretty funny. I don't know if it works for an entire, like, hour and 19 minutes, you know? I don't know if I can, if awkward comedies work that long for me, personally. But I do appreciate, because a lot of times with comedies, you have the old ham fist in a plot. Because, you know, it's just bits. We're doing bits. And it's just like, oh, what can get us to the next bit? And they come up with some ridiculous plot. But I appreciated that this movie doesn't have a plot. It's just bit. And then another bit. Mm -hmm. And then another bit. So I did appreciate that. Because some of these bits, uh, they work quite well. I thought this movie was hilarious. I I thought it was so funny. I, like, it's definitely my kind of comedy. Uh, I can see, like, my wife, for instance, would, oh, yeah. she would hate this. Like, she she doesn't oh. she's not a big fan of awkward comedy. So, the I think j- her watching she didn't she didn't watch this, but I think if she watched like five minutes of this, she would just, she would cringe so hard that it would knock her out of the room. Yeah. But for me, as a fan of awkward comedy, especially like awkward like dad comedy, like yeah. like yeah. comedy that involves like men just being completely stupid men, like I, that's yeah. just that's just kind of that's my jam. And this movie really nails that. I was getting a lot of like kind of Jim Cummings vibes from from this, like uh, just shades of Thunder Road were coming back to me. And that's a that I, I look at that as a good thing. I do agree with you that so I, I I like the idea of this being a feature length film because if you see the eight minute version, the short, I like that's one where I'm like, okay, yeah, I could definitely use more of this. But uh, I think that one of the just one of the main criticisms criticisms I had is that there's this this uh there's peaks and valleys with this movie. And I think that one of the main like valleys that happens is like when the two, when the two dads go out, they, they think that uh, Branson is missing and they go out searching for them, for him. And they end up having this sort of bonding experience. And for me, like that pretty much that whole sequence didn't work. And it takes up a, just a very long chunk of time, or at least it felt long. I think, probably if I went back and timed it, it would be like five minutes or something, but it felt very long to me. And I just wasn't really that into that whole, that whole sequence, even though I think that it is an important part of the quote unquote plot as it were, uh, because that's like the moment when the two of the, the two of them kind of connect in some way. And, you know, become slightly better friends, I guess. Yeah. Rather than, you know, that's that. Yeah. It's that realization that they're kind of that their uh, overcompensation is kind of unwarranted, you know, because they're so worried about 
Branson not liking them and liking the other one more. <laughs> but I will say that I did like that section. It didn't really work for me either, but yet housed in that section is a particularly good bit that I enjoyed with the personality slash aura. Yeah, slash the spirit, spirit, the spirit <laughs> argument. <laughs> and just how it kept escalating and they were just getting so pissed off. I just, those arguments, those bit arguments were just great between that, between the dad or stepdad. I, th- and that, step and that that's like so that that happens in the short too and that's like right at the beginning of this movie too and it just i feel i feel like it's such a good way to start things off uh like right after they introduce the this the the stepdad and like it's just a great way to set the stage i think because you have you then have this like you know exactly what you're in for at that point with the <laughs> passive aggressiveness and the like the two guys who are they're genuinely just trying to be friendly with each other but it's it comes off as just so awkward like the guitar scene and like almost every scene like you said it just is like basically just bit after bit after bit and it for me most of it works on <laughs> a lot of different levels i mean the dialogue is hilarious the i love the script for this i i love the awkward delivery and just like them talking over each other interrupting each other you know it's it's incredible i love it i, I like it for all the same reasons that i like the jim cummings films um i think that he might handle dialogue a little bit better because he has a little bit more complexity in his in his scripts but this is still quite good i mean the aerobi <laughs> I'm gonna toss the aerobi <laughs> just so many different things just, in this. They, the, the the grill master yeah, that was <laughs> the, what I was the, say. the grill master <laughs> fight uh, uh between that and the, I like the some of the just like the little bit stuff too like how he's a replacement gym part salesman <laughs> yeah and the, and the other guy's a graphic designer for, <laughs> paper, for plates. Paper, paper plates and bowls. <laughs> and I did, I did going back to the grill bit. I just, I think when, when, when he tries, so, so basically the stepdad in this is he's cooking with propane and the other, and the dad wants, <laughs> wants to cook with coal. And he's like, it's like coal, the, the coal's going to lock in the flavor. And he goes, well, yeah, but the hot dogs come with flavor they're they're flavored <laughs> it's just that whole back and, and the and the funny thing is like for most of the movie they do such a good job of delivering everything in in that kind of passive aggressive way where they still like they're they clearly are like not like there's a lot of friction here they're not into each other at all they probably hate each other at the beginning, but they're just they're just trying to be friends for the sake of Branson and the you know, just the responses that they have with with each other. Like at any moment you think this is gonna be it, he's gonna lose it. Either one of them are gonna completely lose it, but they're always able to just barely hang on to these conversations. And I, I think it would just, it just works out so well. 
Yeah, and especially like you said, the the script is so well. But on top of that, the the line deliveries between the two, Colin Burgess and oh, Anthony Overback, like so good. They're yeah, they're they deliver this perfectly because the whole grill master thing is just ridiculous. And at the I love and just the 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 scene after that, it cuts to them eating, and it they're like the most burnt. Like charred <laughs> to a crisp, burgers and dogs I've ever seen, and they they like really accentuated how crunchy they were. Oh, it's so good. I I just I think that I was just really in the right headspace for a movie like this. Like I, after, like I I can't even remember the last time I saw a good comedy like this that gave me a lot of hearty laughs. Just. It's so stupid. It's just so dumb. But I love it. Because it is, like you said, it's that particular, like, guys forcing themselves to be, you know, at least somewhat friendly with each other in the face of a situation that they don't want to be in. And they're both know-it-alls, which is is even hilarious. Because, like you said, that there's the constant one-upsmanship that's going on here, like the bird watching (laughs) where... They're just trying to outdo each other and spotting these birds. And then it's like this movie is like like dad joke the movie. I mean, that's that's pretty much what we're looking at here. Like cringe cringe levels are out of control, but it's just it's just done so well. And it's just so funny. Yeah, because I I think because I'm trying to think of like bit by bit. And I'm trying to think of a bit that didn't quite work for me. Because the thing with these bits, like if if it doesn't work with you, for you, they go, they're extended, you know? Like that's part of the comedy is that it just keeps going for a while. Yeah, it's esca- it, it, it just, it, uh, it continues to escalate. The, like the, the masturbation uh, scene when they're trying to talk to Branson about masturbating, that, that was a little bit. That one got but, to be a little bit too much for me, where I was just like, "Oh God, please, please move on." And I will agree with that because I was trying to think of the one that, like, if there were any that didn't hundred percent work for me, that one would be the one that I would point to. But even within that, there's still a line here and there that made me laugh. Oh especially yeah, when, oh yeah. Like Colin Burgess is like, "Oh yeah," but like up until what was it like age eighteen? He's like, "You just go to town." Yeah, just do whatever you want. I also did like that when when he first when they first went into the house and he was trying to tell him that he was going to let let Branson smoke a cigar and he's <laughs> like age of consent in this house is 13. And he's like what? I no, age to vote. Age to vote is 13. Oh, it's so funny. Oh my god. Yeah, it's it's great if Again, I think it's it's an easy recommend if you're into awkward humor. If you can't take awkward humor, if it's not for you, then th- then this is probably one you'll want to pass. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you'll want to pass on because <laughs> it is like it's very intensely awkward. It'll be torture. You'll yeah. fucking hate it. Yeah, but man, this was this was it for me. Like this this checked all the boxes for me. Uh, I. Yeah, I just I thought it was endlessly funny. Um, so, 
Definitely recommend it. Unfortunately, it seems like uh, this is is got kind of a weird release, so I don't know if it's going to be coming out on demand at some point. If it's it, it, it seems like maybe it's one of those that's going to pop up on like Mubi or one of those other kind of indie streaming services. But I don't know. Yeah, it's got to show up somewhere at some point. Yeah, maybe maybe like Factory Twenty Five will pick it up. Well, it's it's if it's playing in theaters, does that mean does it have distribution? Uh, I don't know. It's only playing through March Sixteenth at Spectacle Theater. So you got to you know you got to be in a very specific place in New York in order to see this. But like you mentioned, Factory, that I feel like they would pick this up. Yeah, they got this up. Yeah, I think it, like coming into this, I was like, oh, you know, step dad and stepdad, but it was all right. It was pretty good. Stuff made me laugh. But talking with you about it has like heightened it. So I think if you see it with friends, I think you'll enjoy it even more. Yeah, I I agree. I think that this is one that I think you'll get more out of because it's like one of those movies where it has a million quotable lines. Oh, yeah. And I think that it's one of those movies where like you, you come out of the theater and you and your buddies are just quoting this movie for the next few days or whatever, and it just makes you laugh all over again. Oh yeah, <laughs> I guess I would oh yeah, I guess I would be squad goals. Like that's just so funny to me. Oh god. I love it. <laughs> and that's the thing, is there's so many lines here where like I can't explain why it's funny. It just is the I, fact that someone's just like they come with flavor, though. I don't know if you know that. Like I that's, I don't know why that's funny, but that's fucking hilarious yeah. to me. I think it's like it's like seventy-five to eighty-five percent delivery. And, yes, but but the line itself is still just inherently f- funny. So, Dad, <laughs> I definitely recommend Dad and Stepdad. I think it's very. I think it's. It's definitely worth a look, again, if you're into awkward comedy. Let's give it a score. Kevin, what are you going to give Dad and Stepdad? I guess like a seven and a half. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm sitting, too. Uh, I was like, I was kind of debating on like seven and a half or eight, somewhere, probably somewhere in between there. Um, Yeah, seven and a half, eight. Uh, all right, so... Keep an eye on that. Maybe add it to your wish list on Letterboxd or something, and and you'll get alerted when it's available. Definitely. Uh, all right. Let's move on. Talk about some of what we've been watching. Uh, we didn't record last week, did we? So I don't know. I think it might be my turn, but I'm not sure. Hit me. Tell me about the whale. I, I will tell you about the whale. Uh, so, you know, this is... We're actually recording this on Sunday afternoon, so the Oscars haven't happened yet, but this is the movie that could win Brendan Fraser an Oscar. I think it will. I think it's definitely definitely the role that's going to get him an Oscar. Not that this role was any less than anything else he's ever done, honestly. Like, it's not like he got better as an actor or anything like that, and it's not like... Like, really, he's just a fat guy in this movie. Like, let's be, let's strip it away. Let's be real. He is just a schlub in this. And I think that 
his performance in this is, you know, on the same level as the other movies that he's in. He's a great actor, and I think he does deserve an Oscar. This movie, uh, aside from Brendan Fraser and his performance, is uh, it's meh. There's there's just not a lot to grasp onto here. I think I think I read that this was like based on a book, maybe. And maybe the book is better or has more substance, but this, this movie as it is, is, uh, it's like, just kind of like that misery porn almost. Uh, it's very specifically designed to kind of devastate you. And I don't know how this is received by the, you know, plus size community, but I don't know if it can be very well received just in, in how it, how he portrays this character. Now, maybe I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's how the character is written in the book, but it does seem like a little bit exploitative in some ways. Like that's kind of a lot of fat shaming in this, but kind of what I was hearing. Yeah. It was just like, yeah, I'm going to clear that one. It's, and it's also like, I can't really speak to, to any of that stuff, but visually it's bland. It's boring. Everything takes place in this like really drab apartment. And Aronofsky really plays it safe. As far as the cinematography here, like there's nothing that I made note of, like, that was it that impressive with the cinematography. You would think that in a single location film that Aronofsky would, you know, step up his game and, and be doing some cool stuff with the visuals, but nah, it's just ugly. Like it's a poorly lit crappy apartment. That's dirty and has stuff everywhere. And I mean, for the most part, Brandon Fraser's character doesn't even move from sitting on a couch, so or like a like a lazy boy type thing. So not only is it in one location, but it's pretty much just in the living room. But yeah, uh not for me. I did not like it very much. I mean, it is sad. It is it, it all the performances are are great, you know. That's yeah, that's pretty much it. I don't, I don't, yeah. I can't recommend the whale. Gotcha. Yeah, definitely not seeing it. It's been solidified. Well, I have one that I can recommend, although I don't know how you'll see it because it's not necessarily out yet, but it's the newest uh, feature length from uh, Christopher Jason Bell. It has been talked about numerous times on the podcast. Mm-hmm. His newest film is called Failed State. Co co directed with uh, Mitch Blummer, who also does the uh, cinematography for the film, which cinematography is pretty damn good in this film. It's just it also stars Dale Smith from earlier short film of Trammel, which I've talked about on the show before, which was I really really enjoyed. Dale Smith played a guy that was just kind of like lonely, the guy that just like kind of has those like one sided conversations. He just needs someone to talk to, and he just keeps talking and talking and talking. 
That's what Trammell is. Here in Failed State, he plays like a messenger slash delivery man. And it's literally just like his day-to-day during the pandemic. He's just running around doing all these various, various uh, odd jobs of delivering items, writing cards and mailing them, like anything that you could possibly want during the pandemic, this is what this guy is doing, you know? And he's doing it all over New York, all the boroughs. So it's just kind of like a slice of life, just following him day to day uh, with kind of like, you know, scripted events, right? But then there's also plenty of like just non-scripted interactions. Like if he's on the bus, just random people talking to him on the bus or when he's outside, you know, like that stuff's included as well. And here... Dale Smith gets more to do, like it's a far more emotional role than Trammell was. And he does like a phenomenal job. And the movie itself ends up being far more emotional than like it early on. It doesn't really let on that it's going to go down that route, but it just kind of becomes A, you got the pandemic aspect of it. B, gig economy going on. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, how capitalism, especially during the pandemic, just just like has found even more efficient ways to just like grind through workers. Just regardless of the circumstances, we'll just fucking churn them out. If they die, who gives a shit? We'll get new ones. And it's just it's all of that just in this like slice of life type drama. I highly recommend it. Yeah, this sounds awesome. Yeah, it's it's so good. What's that called again? Failed state. Failed state. Keep an eye out. The new Christopher Jason Bell. Uh, I saw a movie called Variety from 1983. This is directed by Betty Gordon. Uh, this is a you know one of these New York sleaze movies that uh, I tend oh, to boy. tend to really love. I love New York. Love me some New York sleaze. This is uh, even though it takes even though this was uh released in 83 it feels still like kind of a lot of remnants of the 70s were were still around at this point it's about a young woman who uh is she needs to get a job she ends up finding work at a at a, a porno theater on 42nd street and this guy comes in and he's like He's like super rich. He's like nice to her. And then like they go out once and he kind of ghosts her and she becomes completely obsessed with him. She's like, she's like calling him and like stalking him. And it, that's just pretty much what the movie's about. Like her, you know, when she's, when the movie starts off, she's like very kind of straight laced. She doesn't watch the movies that, you know, she's, she's just like, she works in the ticket booth. And as the movie progresses, she like slowly starts to become more obsessed and kind of unhinged. And uh, I really enjoyed this movie. It has this like almost docudrama vibe to it, the way that it's shot and the way that the the uh, characters uh, like uh, emote, like the the dialogue in this. It's uh, there's a lot of um, people talking over each other. And having like very natural conversations, like there's a lot of conversations that happen in this movie that don't even necessarily pertain to the the plot of the movie. So it's it's almost like 
it's like almost like a fly on the wall type of, of thing where it's like uh, people just in a, in a room having a conversation and we're just listening in on some of these separate conversations um, like at a bar and stuff. And it's, it's quite good. Uh, Luis Guzman is in this in, oh, yeah. in a v- very early role for him, but like the set, he plays the the manager at the theater and like the second that he comes on, on the you know it's you know it's him, but um, yeah, I would definitely give this a light recommend. It it it's not like a horror movie or even really a thriller. It really it's just kind of a I don't know, just a light drama, but definitely worth giving it a look. Yeah, interesting. You talked about the whale with Bernie Fraser. You know, we're recording this before the Oscars. I watched The Executioners with uh, Michelle Yao from 1993. So there you go. There's another tie-in to the Oscars. This uh, I didn't. The, first off, this is directed by Johnny Toe and co-directed with Tony Ching Su Tung. And I didn't know that this is a sequel mm. to another movie. <laughs> <laughs> So the original is, which was also those two, is uh, a heroic trio. So it's Michelle Yao, uh, Bangi Chung, and Anita Mew. They play the three, like they're, you know, like they're essentially superheroes, right? And this one, the reason that we wanted to watch this, meanwhile, the city's been devastated by a nuclear attack. Which, if you nuclear attack, my wife is, she writes her name out as fast as possible, signs it, let's do it. So she read Nuclear Tech, boom, let's do it. This is a part of a Criterion collection, has a Michelle Yao uh, like collection. I forget how many movies it is, like seven or eight, I think. Yeah. All of her, all of her action stuff, you know? And is, is, uh, I, is a side note, is Yes, Madam in that? Yes, yes it is. Hell yeah. Which I, That's yeah, one of my favorites I, of hers. Yeah, I got to watch that because I was so excited when I saw that pop up on there. So Executioners... Uh, this is 90s to sell. It is absolutely, I like, I just love the look and feel of this movie. Uh, you got a lot of tilted angles. You got a lot of like stages, you know, with mm-hmm. the, the, that 90s lighting. I don't know how to describe it, but it's just, you see the light in here, like, this takes place in the 90s. Mm-hmm. I know it. It's just that artificial kind of like heightened. You got some fog in there, you know, a little fog at the bottom. Got all that going on. It's just the look and feel of this is great. Uh, so many people explode. Okay? I'm just going to cut to the chase. A lot of people explode in this movie. And every single time it happens, it's incredible. It's just... The first time it happened, I just lost. <laughs> I don't see that very often. But they did it like four other times. Like People just keep exploding in this movie. People keep getting their their limbs ripped off, right? People are getting punched through the chest. One guy gets punched through the chest. You see his arm go the whole way through, and his back stretches out the back. He doesn't rip through the back, right? It just stretches out, and he kind of, like, flexes, like, his hand, and you see, like, his skin, and it makes, like, a noise. Nice. Yeah. And you're just like, yes, I fucking love all this shit. This, This is just great. Maggie Chung has a whole fight scene where she's just like inside of a truck, like a dump truck. 
So she's fighting outside of the truck and then back inside the cab. It's just, it's incredible. It's just so much fun. And I was so surprised to jump on Letterboxd and most of the reviews are shit. And don't listen to them. They're great. It's a great movie. Hmm. I mean, you can't really go wrong with Johnny Toe, in my opinion. No. And it's just, it's fun as hell. It's so ridiculous. I love it. Like my wife said, it's like Hong Kong um, tank girl. Hell yeah. I mean, I'm done with that. Uh, And uh, that's the executioners. Is that what it's called? Just executioners. Just executioners. Okay. From 1993. Uh, the last one I'll mention is the witch part one, the subversion. This is on shutter. It can check it out on there. It's directed by Park Hoon Young. Now, this is interesting because like you you the it, it kind of transitions nicely from the the movie that you were just talking about because this movie is similar in that it is it got some crazy fights involving like superpowered people. So, this is a this is the first part in what I believe will become a trilogy. Uh I didn't finish the second one yet, but that one's also on Shutter. That's called The Witch Part Two, the other one, which I kind of love that <laughs> subtitle. <laughs> and what this is about is a um, there's like this kind of top secret uh, government agency type thing. I don't I don't think it's run by the government, but it's like a top secret program where they're essentially creating super soldiers out of children. I mean, it's kind of like something we've seen before they're doing these, they're doing genetic experiments on children to try to make them into like living weapons or whatever. And, uh, the, the, there's this one girl who is like the most powerful one and she's like sick of their shit and she breaks out and kills them all. And then like kind of disappears for a long time and then um she ends up on this like like one of those idol shows and she she ends up on TV and the the company or the 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 organization that she escaped from sees that she sees her performance on this show and comes after her the, 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 then the thing is like she has amnesia so she doesn't remember all of the the stuff when she was in this, in this um, program thing. But then after they come after her, it all comes flooding back and she turns into this like super soldier badass who not only has super strength and like Wolverine type healing where she can like get shot a bunch of times and it just immediately heals. But she can, she also has telekinesis so she can like, pick people up. She can pick up guns and shoot them with them floating. And there's all kinds of cool shit she can do. And, uh, it's a badass movie. It's violent. It's got some great action. Um, definitely recommend checking out the witch part one. And from what I've seen of part two so far, again, I'm not completely done with it yet, but, uh, the second one kind of amps up everything. (laughs) So more action, more, more fighting, more everything in the second one. So I'm definitely liking where this, this, uh, series is going. And it's funny because like I heard of this, the, cause the second one came out last year, I think. And 
I saw people like talking about it and stuff and I wasn't interested because of the title. Like that's what made me not really look into this because I was like, I don't need another witch movie. You know, like I just, I've seen so many movies about witches. I don't need it, but that's not, it's really not what you, when you see this, you're like, okay, this is not really a witch movie at all. It's more of like an action sci-fi movie. So yeah, don't let the title fool you. It is uh, very much a badass Korean sci-fi action movie. Man, dude, South Korea has been crushing it lately. Like, I feel like between the the TV shows and the movies that they've been putting out, like, they're doing really interesting stuff, and America needs to get their shit together because as far as our big blockbusters, it's, like, so boring. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that. I also just thought of something. This is just an idea that anyone can take. Please do. But I would like someone that their special power is that they explode, but they can survive that and just put themselves back together. It's, it's, um, it's, what was that movie? It was like the incredible, the melting man, but he wasn't going to survive that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, There probably is a hero that can do that. I bet you. I I want someone that they can just detonate themselves. Everyone else explodes. Uh, And then their body just comes back together. I'm pretty sure that there's a a hero that could make himself explode. But I don't know that that would necessarily mean that everyone around him also explodes. Hmm. Well, that's what I need. I need someone to do that for me. All right. Well, that's a million dollar idea right there. Put, putting that call out I'll pay $20 for it <laughs> bounty $20 bounty on that movie alright let's take a look at what we have in theaters this week the big one is Shazam Fury of the Gods mm. I guess you could say that's the big one I heard not great things honestly so I don't that. know I liked the first one but this one looks like they're kind of changing the tone a bit, at least from what I saw in the trailers. Like the first one was kind of very light, very fun, more focused on like, you know, this kid who gets these powers and stuff like that and learning, learning what powers he has. And then this one looks like they're, it's just a regular old superhero movie. Mm, fun. Yeah. Uh, so that's, I think, I don't know if that's the only wide release, but we also have inside, which is the Willem Dafoe one where he plays an art thief who gets trapped inside a, like some sort of penthouse. Oh yeah. And he goes a little cuckoo. Yeah. Yeah. Sure does. So that's number 57 films with the name inside. Oh God. Yeah. Way too many insides. Come up with something else, guys. Make it easy on viewers. Uh, also in limited release, we have Country Gold, which we reviewed on this show. I guess, when was that? Sundance, Slamdance, one of those, maybe? Yeah, I think. Set the Troil? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Troil. <laughs> Uh, that's the Mickey Reese one. Um, highly recommend it. I was a big fan. The Troil Brooks. 
<laughs> my fake biopic type uh, thing. Wonderful. Yeah, those that's pretty much it for theaters on VOD this week. Let's see. Today is okay. So starting with the 14th of March, we have The Siege, which is a Saban Films release. So I think you know what to expect there. Back to the Drive-In, that's a documentary about drive-ins, I would assume. On the 15th, we have Money Shot, the Pornhub story that's on Netflix. It's a documentary about Pornhub, if you couldn't tell from the title. On the 16th, we have Still Time, that's going to be on Netflix. And then on Friday the 17th, we have The Magician's Elephant on Netflix, that's an animated film. We have Noise on Netflix. That's a thriller. We have In His Shadow on Netflix. Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, Netflix is uh, really, I don't know what's going on here, but they're they are pumping them out this week. And none of them look particularly good. So that, Yeah, surprising. That Noise one I might take a look at. I don't know anything about it, but the poster is kind of cool. Um, also on the 17th, we have Are You Lonesome Tonight? We got American Cherry. On Hulu, we have Boston Strangler, which I'll probably be giving that a look. And Cram. Supercell, that's another Saban Films release, I believe. And I think that is it. On on the 19th, on next Sunday... All the Beauty and the Bloodshed is going to be on HBO Max. I'll mention that since um, we'll probably be recording on Sunday next week. On Blu-ray this week, we have Streets of Fire coming out in 4K. Uh, It looks like a Shout Factory. That's one of those collector's edition ones. Uh, Prince of Egypt from 1998 is getting a 4K release. We have The Whale coming out. We have The mm-hmm. Core from 2003. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Oh, Razorback from 1984. Razorback. Now, this is a this is a great Australian creature feature about a, a crazy, murderous boar that's on the loose. Hell yeah. I loved Razorback. Highly recommend it. it it's like it... Well, you just got to see it. it. It's one of those great... Australian thrillers where like they clearly they they didn't have a big budget so there's not a lot of creature work done but what how they do it like how they shoot it and stuff it's very very good let's see Phenomenon's coming out that's the Dario Argento one with uh, Jennifer Conley highly recommend that one too I, I was fortunate enough to get to see a print of that in theaters and it was a freaking blast Wild soundtrack on that one. Do the drums go hard? Yeah, dude. It it's it's crazy. It's like a mixture of that kind of classic goblin sound, but also like heavy metal. Mm-hmm. So it's it's pretty. That one has a pretty wild soundtrack. Like it doesn't match the movie at all, but it's no. it's it's still nuts. That's the beauty of those movies. The soundtrack <laughs> rarely. But the soundtrack is just like, hell yeah, this is awesome. Yeah, it goes hard. Like, the soundtrack goes hard in a movie about Jennifer Conley who can talk to bugs. Hell yeah. <laughs> What's more heavy metal than that? I, yeah, yeah, I think you have a point there. Uh, also coming out is A Man Called Otto. That's the one with Tom Hanks. That's the the 
remake of uh, the original one was called like A Man Called Ova or something like that. Mm, okay. And I, I didn't see the original one or this one. No, I'm just I'm now remembering that movie. And I'm like, oh yeah. Didn't realize that. Yeah. Uh, Glorious is coming out. That's a Shudder one, so you can check it out on there if you'd like. Uh, Alice Darling. That's the one with Anna Kendrick. Uh, the Wildcat from 1921. It's a Kino release. Mm, let's see what else we got here. Uh, the Apology from last year. Did we talk about that on this? I don't know if we. I don't know if we talked about that. Um, we uh, when I saw that it might have been like a week when we didn't record or something, but that's definitely worth a look. The apology. I, I vaguely remember you talking about that. Yeah, maybe I can't remember. Uh, what about Criterion's this week? Uh, we got one, and that's um John Woo's Last Hurrah for Chivalry from nineteen seventy nine. Getting the old 2K digital restoration. 2K. You'd think that they would just go for the 4K at this point. <laughs> no. You know, no. like. 2K. Getting that 2K. Like, how, like, is it, does it cost that much more to just do go for the 4K? I don't know. They didn't want to commit. I mean, these days, like, almost no one. Like people have 4K TVs, but they they just stick to streaming services that usually don't stream in 4K anyway. So yeah, it's just not. I don't know. All right, cool. I think that's gonna do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. And if you have a minute, consider reviewing us on iTunes. That'd be great. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name is Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week. 